0: Our reading today will be from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, 19 through 25, in the ESV version. And while you turn there or get your phone out, Steve, I just wanted to thank you for your testimony and the application to buy a dog. <laughs> All right, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. My subtitle is here, The Full Assurance of Faith.
1: Well, if in case you're wondering why are we in Hebrews, and we didn't start at the beginning of Hebrews, we jumped in the middle, thought we were in Thessalonians. We finished First and Second Thessalonians. So we've, we're studying those two books together in a series called Living with the End in View uh, throughout most of the fall, and uh, we're going to jump into a longer sermon series in the Gospel of John, starting roughly beginning of February. Uh, But before we do that, I wanted us to linger for a bit and and preach through a shorter seven-week series entitled Sunday Matters. Sunday Matters. Why do I say that? Well, there there are few traditions in the Christian faith more widely embraced, I would argue, than the weekly rhythm of worship on the Lord's Day. Um, You actually, in our culture at least, uh, you don't have to look far, this may change at some point, but I don't think you have to look far right now, uh, to find even a non-Christian who remembers grandma or another influential family member making them go to church. And if that influential family member or grandma was, was really intense, it wasn't just Sunday morning, it was what? Sunday evening and maybe Wednesday night. Did you know that if you grow up wearing your Sunday best and you continue gathering with God's people once a week for the rest of your life, the average person in that category will attend Sunday worship 4,056 times minus weeks where you're sick, working, or out of town based on average U.S. life expectancy. 4,056 times. Anything we do, that often, friends, easily becomes a mindless exercise. So easily. Like, like eating breakfast or driving to work. I, I was thinking about this. H- have you ever arrived to the parking lot at a, your job site or the office and you suddenly realize, I have no memory of the entire drive I took to get here? Ever happened to you? And it's a little scary, right? Because you say, whoa, I, thank you, Lord, I'm safe. <laughs> Why? Because it's a routine. It's just what we do. It's a habit. And I think in similar fashion, there are plenty of Christians who get up on a Sunday morning and before long, they're driving home from church. And they have little to no idea what happened in that space. <laughs> because it's just what you do. It's a habit. A habit of regular Sunday worship is an exceedingly good thing. Mindless participation is not. The habit is an exceedingly good thing. Mindless participation is not. Hebrews 11 verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. Translation, mindless habits don't please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. In other words, friend, God isn't after your attendance. He's after your heart, right? Your faith, your trust. He wants you to come here with eager expectation. A few weeks ago, a family member of mine, very generous, uh, sent Eliza and me to go see the Broadway musical Hamilton in Richmond. And, and we showed up to the Altria Theater about 20 minutes or so before the show started. And I'm really glad we did because the place appeared to be sold out. And, and the line just to, to get into the building wrapped around practically an entire city block. The, the buzz in the air was was palpable. You could, you could feel the sense of anticipation. Like perfect strangers around me were just unusually chatty and willing to strike up random conversations. People don't normally do that. And when the lights dimmed and, and the show finally started, the, the whole crowd just roared. Why? Because they were excited to experience what they've been waiting to experience. A stunning combination of songs and costumes and lighting and choreography. And it was fantastic. We loved it. But as I look back on that, a peculiar sorrow rises in my heart. Because I found myself thinking, why is it, Lord, that Sunday morning?" aren't more like that. Not not in terms of costumes and choreography. <laughs> okay? I I praise God this isn't a performance. I'm not here to perform. You shouldn't be here to perform. <laughs> I'm talking about a collective sense of eager expectation arising from the knowledge that what we're participating in on Sunday morning is infinitely better than Hamilton. Because cabinet meeting rap battles, as cool as they are, have nothing, friends, what God has given us as a church. Hebrews 12, verse 22. Don't believe me, but believe the Lord. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem, Friends, if that's all true, and it is, then why in the world do we chomp in line to see Hamilton, but straggle in on Sunday morning? Why do we walk into the Altria Theater, brimming with excitement, but but walk through those doors of this church, Compelled by little more than the force of habit. Or because you feel guilty if you don't. Or because your parents or your spouse dragged you out of bed. (laughs) Or because you were scheduled, oh man, scheduled to serve that morning. By themselves, please hear this, those are not good reasons together with the weekly assembly of the saints. Each one of them by themselves and a thousand more like them reflect the absence of faith. That's what's missing. The absence of faith and earnest, eager expectation informed by the word of God that God has something incredibly good for us as we gather here on Sunday morning. And so we need to go back and remember, or or maybe learn for the first time, why is the weekly gathering of the saints so important? What does God promise to do when we meet like this? Like, this isn't hypothetical, okay? We're doing it right now. I'm preaching about what we're doing right now. What's God doing as we gather here? What what does God want us to do as we gather here? Why Why is this so important? Well, that's our focus for the next seven weeks. Sunday matters. So I'm going to preach an introductory sermon today entitled A Word-Shaped Liturgy. And then we're going to follow up over the next six weeks with preach the word, sing the word, pray the word, share the word. There's a theme. And see the word, parts one and two which are about the two sacraments of the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And normally, I limit myself to expounding uh, one text of scripture when I preach. And that's in large part because I'm convinced that preaching sequentially through books of the Bible start to finish is one of the best ways that I can serve you as a congregation. But I think occasionally we do well to pause and consider what, what are various parts of the Bible Together, say about a particular topic. And that's what we're going to do for seven weeks. What does the, the whole Word of God have to say about this meeting, about Sunday? So that's the approach I'm going to take this morning. So let's consider our first question. The sermon is structured in the form of questions because. My mind works with questions and answers. I hope it serves you. So, question one, why do we gather as a church on Sunday? Pretty basic. Why do we do that? Well, in Exodus 20, verse 8, the Lord commanded his people Israel, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, on it, you shall not do any work, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, so the Jewish Sabbath was a what? A physical sign of spiritual dependence on the Lord. And for the Israelites who had ears to hear, it was a weekly reminder not to hope. In their work or their power to save themselves, but to hope what? In God's work and God's power to save them. After all, that's precisely what the first seventh day of creation was all about, right? What was it about? God-centered joy in a work only God could accomplish. And commanding Israel to follow his example was God's way of inviting Israel to share in his joy. A joy that required something. Israel had to rest from her work and trust in God's work. And if she was willing to do that, she would experience something of the divine rest that God himself enjoys. Exodus thirty-one thirteen. Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, listen, the Lord sanctify you. Israel had no power to sanctify herself, to make herself holy. Only God could restore all that her sin had made wrong, our sin had made wrong, and lead her back into the spiritual rest of right relationship with himself. And so in that sense, this physical rest of the Sabbath, it pointed forward to something. What was that? The spiritual rest we have in the gospel. How so? Because it's ultimately through faith in the person and work of Christ that God sanctifies us, that he makes us holy as he is holy, and and he brings us into the divine rest That he himself enjoys. In other words, on this side of the cross, we keep the fourth commandment not by resting one out of every seven days. We keep the fourth commandment by clinging to faith in Christ. We keep Sabbath. By clinging to faith in Christ, because Jesus is our Sabbath rest. That's a whole nother series of sermons. But that's an important place to start. But that raises a really big question. If Jesus is our Sabbath rest, and if keeping the fourth commandment is all about me clinging to faith in Christ, then why do we need any of this? I mean, isn't, didn't you just say, it's all about now, Jesus and me, clinging to faith in Christ? If that's the case, why not put on some worship music, watch a sermon on YouTube, and do it all from the comfort of my couch with my slippers and my favorite cup of coffee and none of those people watching me? Well, friends, we, we gather together for a reason, okay? Clinging to faith in Christ, please hear this, glorifying God by enjoying him forever, it involves far more than you and Jesus. It involves his people, us. Why? Because our identity in Christ is inescapably corporate, Okay, if right now, please hear this, you are clinging to faith in Christ, then you have been added to God's people. You're you're part of his chosen bride, the church, which is why church membership is so important. What's it do? It recognizes and gives tangible shape to the corporate reality the gospel creates, And God made us a people. He he gave us a corporate identity in Christ so that we could what? We could proclaim his excellencies together. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a pile of isolated individuals. No, a holy nation, a people. That's not America, by the way. A people for his own possession. That you may what? Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When, when we exalt and delight in Jesus together, he is glorified in a much greater way than he would be if we tried to exalt and delight in Jesus in isolation. That's what Peter's saying. And, and that, friends, by the way, is why heaven isn't filled with a bunch of isolated Christians enjoying Jesus. You know, like some cruise line where we all have a perfect little room with our own window. Yes, <laughs> No, what is heaven filled with? A gathered assembly of the people of God together singing the praises of God. Together. So why do we gather as a church on Sunday? That's our first question. Here's my attempt at a summary answer. What have we seen so far? We gather as men and women who are clinging to Christ Jesus to express our corporate identity in Christ Jesus by together proclaiming the excellencies of Christ Jesus. That's why we gather. Question two How in the world do we do that? <laughs> Well, you seem so excited about, preacher man. How do we do that? Well, here's where Hebrews 10 that Beth read earlier, starting in verse 19, is just so helpful, so helpful. Look at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Don't just through that. Okay? What is that telling us? Well well, under the old covenant, pre life, death, resurrection of Christ, where did you have to go if you wanted to enjoy God's presence and worship Him? You had to go to a particular physical meeting place. Okay, at first it was the what? The tabernacle, and then eventually the the temple. In Jerusalem, and that temple was divided into multiple areas. You had an outer court where Gentiles could worship, an inner court where Israelites could worship, the holy place where Levitical priests only could worship, and the most holy place where only the high priest could worship. And that only once a year. And so, so the closer you were to the most holy place, the closer you were to the presence of God. And a regular Israelite, an average Joe Christian, would never have dreamed of entering the holy places, let alone with confidence. Only priests could do that. Only only after they had undergone an extensive ritual of purification. Why? Because sinful men can't just waltz into the presence of a holy God. The entire setup communicated, as one of my Five-year-old's favorite storybook says, it is wonderful to live in God's place again, but because of our sin, we can't go in. So what did Jesus do? What's, What's verse 19 reminding us of, church? He made a way for all of us to go in and to experience the joy of unhindered relationship with the king of the universe. He lived a perfect life God requires. He died at the substitutionary death your sin deserves. Why? So we could be forgiven, clothed in his righteousness, and draw near to the Father as his beloved children. Apart from Jesus, that's impossible. But through faith in him, we are what? Verse 22, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies are washed with pure water. That's not religious jargon. That's Hebrews' way of reminding us Jesus deals once and for all with the sin that separates us from God. So how do we respond to that? And what's all this have to do with what we do on Sunday? There's three ways we respond here. Look at verse 22. First, we draw near to worship him. In light of all that, how do we respond? First, we draw near to worship him. That isn't just something we do, by the way, on Sundays when the band starts playing. There is a little part of me, actually a rather big part of me, (laughs) that's like, (laughs) when we say things like, now would the worship team. Join us. (laughs) I'm not going to be word police. Don't freak out, Kevin. (laughs) But why do I cringe a little bit at that? Because worship is something that we do every moment of our life. Not just when the band comes up here and, you know, the lights go on and, oh. I mean, it's, it's great to finally be back and have a little worship. Now, you've been worshiping all morning long, all week long. Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The question, friend, is not have you been worshiping this week, but who have you been worshiping? And so in that sense, if you've been fighting to honor God with your life this week, then what we do on Sunday drawing near to worship him together is is the overflow of that. It's part of that. We're not looking to the pastor or the band to lead us into God's presence, but to Jesus, the son of God, who brings us into God's presence and enables us to worship him. Here's another thing I cringe at. (laughs) If well-intended, I fully believe this, somebody comes up to me afterwards and says, Pastor, thanks for your leadership today. You really brought us into the presence say it isn't so. You know? well, I'm not going to smack you, okay? If you're thinking, oh no, did I ever say that to Matthew? Stop it. I, I know what you meant. You experienced God's manifest presence in a particular way. Why? Because where two or three are gathered together, there he is among us. He reveals his presence in powerful ways when we're together. I get that. But neither this guy nor these people bring you into the presence of God. Jesus does. Not just when we're singing. But what we do when we gather on Sunday is part of that. Why do I linger here? Because in verse 22, when Hebrews says, Let us draw near, that's not a Sunday morning thing. That's an all of life thing that Sunday morning is part of. Second, look at verse 23. We respond to what Christ has done for us. We hold fast. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. What's the confession of our hope? It's the person and work of Christ, right? So, So holding fast the confession of our hope is what? Clinging to faith in Christ. It means remembering and responding To the truth of the gospel. Not not just once or twice, but over and over and over again. Notice that, without wavering. It's not, let us hold fast back in the mid-70s so we know we've got our get-out-of-jail-free card punched when we show up in the gates of glory. It's without wavering. Your whole life. Remember the gospel. Respond to the gospel. Remember the gospel. Respond to the gospel. So we draw near to worship and exalt the Lord. We remember and respond to the gospel, but there's a third thing we do in response to what God's done for us. Look at verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In other words, friend, if you're going to hold fast to Jesus, if you're going to persevere in the obedience of faith, if you're going to do verse 23 all the days of your life, guess what? You need help. A lot of help. So do I. Not occasionally, but continually. So please hear this. If you are prone to only occasionally gather with the church on Sunday, meeting with the church, And the mutual encouragement and and spiritual edification we experience as a result is God's appointed means of empowering His people to persevere in the faith. It's not my idea, it's God's idea because He knows you need help to do verse 23. To persevere in the faith. Abandon the organized worship of the people of God and you will eventually abandon faith in God. Don't believe the lie that I'm good as long as I got me and Jesus. Because friend, if you're not gathering with the saints before too long, you won't have Jesus. It's that important. You will not persevere in doing verse twenty three, holding fast the confession of our hope, unless you persevere in doing verse twenty four and twenty five, gathering with the people of God for mutual encouragement, exhortation, and edification. So, what do we do on Sunday mornings? Well, Hebrews shows us we draw near to God to worship Him. We hold fast to Christ by remembering and responding to the gospel, and third. We encourage one another to persevere in the obedience of faith. To summarize that, you might say, in other words, Sunday is all about glorifying God and edifying one another by remembering and responding to the gospel. That's what this is about. What's Sunday about? Why does Sunday matter? It matters because God made us, to together glorify God, edify one another by remembering and responding to the gospel. That's just Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. And thankfully, friends, the Lord hasn't left it up to us to decide, transition, what sorts of activities enable or help us to get that done. He's given us specific commands to govern our Sunday morning priorities. In other words, God doesn't just say, hey, get over there somehow into this land where you're exalting, glorifying me and edifying one another by remembering and responding to the gospel. Well, how do we do that, Lord? I don't know. Figure it out. (laughs) No, he's told us. He's guided us. He's told us to preach the word. Second Timothy four. He's told us to sing the word. Colossians 3, he's told us to pray the word. 1 Timothy 2, he's told us to read the word. 1 Timothy 4, he's told us to share the word. Acts 2, seizing opportunities for, for fellowship where we can speak the truth and love to one another and, and practice spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 14. And he's told us to set the word of Christ before our eyes and a watching world through the sacraments of baptism, Romans 6. And the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians 11. My point is that every one of those divinely ordained activities that God has ordained are designed to help us glorify God, edify one another by remembering and responding to the gospel. That's the point. That's what we do on Sunday. Glorify God, edify one another by remembering and responding to the gospel. Now, here's our third and final question. And this this may be where I cover some new territory for even those of you who have been in church for most of your life. How does the order of our service achieve God's goal for our service? How does the order of our service achieve God's goal for our service what I just laid out? So if Sundays are about glorifying God and edifying one another by remembering and responding to the gospel, the order of our service is important. Why? Because the gospel is not just a random collection of facts. Okay? There's a logical structure. There's a necessary progression of thought in the confession of our hope that we want to hold fast to without wavering. Think about it. If I were to say to you, tell me the gospel in 60 seconds or less, as I do to every potential new member, hint, hint, what would you say? <laughs> what would you say? Well, I've, I've heard all kinds of answers, but, but I've found it Helpful to capture the biblical answer to that question in the form of a few words. God, man, Christ, response. God, man, Christ, response. I'll elaborate. Okay? The gospel tells us that God is our holy creator. Right? That because he made us, we are accountable to him. But that's a problem. Why? Because we haven't lived under his authority. We've sinned. We've rebelled against him. We deserve his righteous judgment as a result. And if that sounds like bad news to you, good, because it is. (laughs) So, what's the good news? The good news is that Jesus has done for us what we can't do for ourselves. The eternal Son of God lived our life, died our death, and rose from the grave to prove what? To prove what? That his life and death were sufficient to destroy the power of sin and make us right with God. But eternal life with God isn't automatic. We we have to respond to Jesus by turning away from sin and turning toward trust and faith in him as evidence through a life of persevering obedience. That's what the gospel is. That's the good news we want to remember and respond to Sunday after Sunday. Every part of that is true. But here's what I want you to realize, friends. The gospel only makes sense in a particular order. Example, if I said to you, you need to repent of your sins and trust in Christ to save you. Do you know that will not make a lick of sense unless you first understand God is holy? I'm accountable to him. What gives him a right to tell me as an intelligent American how I should live? Well, he created you. Then and only then do we recognize, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. In other words, if we don't remember the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, Jesus Christ will be at best ho-hum. There's an order. There's a progression. I love how Brian Chaplin, his book, Christ-Centered Worship, explains how the gospel gives structure to our corporate gatherings. Through, Through the ages, the common pattern of the order of worship in the church reflects the pattern of the progress of the gospel in the heart. The gospel first affects the heart by enabling us to recognize who God is. When we truly understand the glory of his holiness, then we also recognize who we are and confess our need for him. The gospel then assures us of the grace that he provides. And our hearts respond in both thanksgiving and humble petition for his aid so that we can give proper devotion to him. In response to our desire for his aid, God provides us with his word. We heed his instruction, knowing that we are both charged to do so and have the promise of his blessing as we live for him. The common liturgy of the church through the ages, listen, reflects this sequential flow of the gospel in our hearts. So it's very interesting that whether you're talking about historic Roman Catholic liturgies or Luther, or Calvin, or the Westminster Divines, you name it, there's a consistent order of elements in the historic liturgies of the Christian faith. It's not haphazard, it's not worship announcements preaching, worship announcements preaching. The order of the service is designed to help us remember and respond to the gospel. So I want you to see this. I think we can put up that slide. All right, here we go. What are the consistent elements? We've just been talking about this, okay? Adoration comes first. Recognition of God's character. Then confession and acknowledgement of our character. Then assurance and affirmation of grace. Then thanksgiving and expression of devotion to God. Then petition and intercession, a desire for aid in living for God. Then instruction in God's word, acquiring knowledge For pleasing God. And they conclude with a charge and a benediction. Living unto God with his blessing. Now. Is a Sunday morning service. With all of those elements. Required by God. No. No. Okay. If it were this would have been a much simpler sermon. I might not even need to preach this sermon. No it's a wisdom issue. Okay. It's a wisdom issue. But it makes sense that if God's goal for our time together is what? To help us remember, hold fast to Christ Jesus, the truth of who he is, what he's done for us, by remembering and responding to the gospel, then that gospel should inform not just the the content of our meetings, but the container. Not just the goods, the message that's alluded to repeatedly, but the structure of the whole. If if we want our lives to be shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ, then our corporate worship should be shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me give you an example of this, okay? From from one of our Sunday services last month. Just to illustrate this, I think it was uh, November 10 or 17 or somewhere in there. I began by reading Psalm 33, good. Yes, Psalm 33, one through 12 which was a warm-up act to help us all get settled in. No! (laughs) No, okay? It's not when in doubt, read scripture. That's a great start. No, that was very intentional. Very intentional. Because Psalm 33, 1 through 12 reminds us of the majesty and authority and power of God. We need to start there because that's where the gospel starts. So that's where we began. Then we sang what? Glorious and mighty which helps us adore the Lord for the very same attributes. Okay, then our brother Will Chapman shared a prayer of confession. We were not spectating while he talked to God, Lord willing. Okay, he was was praying on our behalf. We were praying with him. And then we sang, I will wait for you. Did we do that because after an up-tempo opener, you kind of want to go with a more moody, slower second song? Blue lights. No! Okay, what's that song say? Out of the depths I cry to you. Darkest places I will call. Incline your ear to me anew. And hear my cry for mercy, Lord. What do those lyrics do, friend? Well, they help us on the heels of confessing our sin to express our need for Christ's mercy. But we don't stay there mired in need, right? We move into assurance and gratitude to Jesus for the provision of the forgiveness and help that we need. So so put your hope in God alone. Take courage in his power to save completely and forever one by Christ emerging from the grave. But not that high, thankfully. (laughs) And so we thank the Lord for the pardon we have in the gospel. What comes next? Well, next, I had planned on reading the rest of Psalm 33. It was in the plan. But either because we decided to linger more with the first two songs or the Lord brought a spontaneous contribution in the form of a prophetic word that we pray for and earnestly desire. I don't think I read that. When I was looking back at this order service, I thought, I never remember reading that. Wonder why that happened. Here's why that happened or didn't happen, because we're trying to respond even in our plan to what the Lord is spontaneously doing in our meetings. That's not better than what's planned, by the Oh, great, we threw out the plan. Now Jesus really showed up. No. No, but we need both. Planning, spontaneity. Okay, then I introduced the offering. Encouraging us to express our thanksgiving to the Lord through generous giving. And we sang Blessed Assurance. Now think about this with me. Why did we sing Blessed Assurance, that song, there, that point, and not at the beginning Before glorious and mighty. Well, it's because until you've recounted the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man and the provision of God's grace in Christ, it is hard to really sing, Relieve my fears that I no more may doubt the love of Christ for me. It's hard to sing that unless you've first remembered all the things that came before it. And by the way, here we go. You won't appreciate the significance of those words nearly as much if you walked in 15 or 20 minutes late. So, let me speak directly to that issue for a few minutes. Friends, if you are consistently showing up late on Sunday morning. Not because your three-year-old had a crisis, but because it's your habit. You are harming your own soul. Why do I say that? That seems a little strong. Where's the grace? (laughs) I say that because you are functionally saying you only need part of the gospel. Do you see that? You're saying, I don't need to be reminded of God's holiness. I don't need to confess my sin. I don't need to receive a fresh assurance of God's pardon. It's just a couple songs. It's just like the warm-up. I made it in time for the sermon. Friends, you need the whole confession of our faith. The whole thing. coming on time on Sunday isn't just about, well, you know, make sure whoever's giving announcements doesn't look out and get discouraged because there's four people in the room. Yep, yeah, show up time for that reason. No, no, not at all. Your heart will not be properly prepared to hear the preaching of God's word unless you have participated in everything that comes before the preaching of God's word. That's my point. And I haven't even mentioned The impossibility, if you arrive here late, of encouraging a brother or sister before the service starts, of welcoming a visitor who's with us on a particular Sunday, or being used by the Lord to share a prophetic word or pray for someone during the service. If you show up late, in other words, you're not just harming your own soul. You're missing out on the spiritual food you need. You're being selfish. And you're limiting the Lord's ability to use you to edify his people. You're taking only part of the gospel and saying, I'd like to show up for the assurance of pardon and some preaching, but I don't need all the rest of that. You do friend. You do. And I say that because I love you. Because I think you guys know I love you. I'm not going to make a thousand qualifying remarks. Nor am I going to give the ushers those little clickers. (laughs) How many people came in late today? No, I'm not going to do that. I don't care about that. I mean, don't quote me out of context. I don't care about you being late. What do I care about? I'm deeply interested in and fiercely committed. To making sure you don't allow laziness to hurt your soul and unintentionally hurt others around you. That's what I care about. So after we sang blessed assurance, what did we do? Well, Josh led us in a prayer of intercession. Why? Because that's what thanksgiving for God's blessings are designed to do. What are they designed to do? To give us hope and encouragement. Let's ask for more. You know, it's like a young child. When I, You ever notice if you give your kid one cookie? It's like, wow, it's great. Um, thanks, dad. You know, on to the next thing. It's like, Can I have another one? You know, it's just how it works. And so thanksgiving for God's blessings is designed to lead into intercession. Asking for more good gifts from our father in heaven. And then Jody read from Psalm or Jonah 3-4 through four, and, and our brother Rick Zaman from Grace Bible preached on the same. Okay, instructing us how to live a humble life where we see our, our, the true depth of our need for God's mercy and how to, how to fight against self-righteousness in our heart. So what do you think we sing afterward? A random song? No. A debtor to mercy alone. Debt or to mercy alone, covenant mercy I sing. Come with your righteousness on, my humble offering to bring. Responding to the sermon. It's intentional. And then Chris led us in sharing the Lord's Supper. A family meal instituted by our Savior King that's designed to help us remember and not forget both our need and God's provision. And then we sang, Jesus, there's no one like you. Why? To express our satisfaction and joy in him. Who's met our greatest need for mercy. And then Chris sent us out with God's blessing, a benediction, and charge. Most of that was planned, not all of it. But why was it planned that way? To help us remember and respond to the gospel. God, man, Christ, response. That's not just tradition. That's Jesus. The order of our service helps us achieve God's goal for our service. So, why does Sunday matter, friend? We're going to say this over and over again for seven weeks because God commands us to exalt Him, edify one another by remembering and responding to the gospel. And please hear this that is not just something we have to do, that's something we get to do, right? It's an incredible privilege to gather together as brothers and sisters and do that together, to draw near to God together. And if it's a long time before the Lord calls you home, you might get to do this a few thousand times. My charge to you from the word of God is not to take a single one of them for granted. Don't take this for granted. The gathered worship of the people of God is one of God's choicest means for keeping you faithful to him. May it it matter to us all the more over the next seven weeks, friends, because what we experience here on mornings like this is so much better than Hamilton. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for a much-needed reminder. in my own soul of just how important our meetings are. Lord, I need this word maybe as much as anybody in this room because I'm so involved in planning what we do here on Sunday. Lord, because of that, I I thank you. We thank you that you haven't just told us to figure it out. You've told us to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. You've explained what that confession of hope consists of. And through the shape of our weekly gatherings, you shape our souls with the gospel. Lord, we ask that you would make us a people who excel at glorifying you and edifying one another by remembering and responding to that gospel. Help us to do that, even as we sing this song, cause the word of Christ to dwell on us richly. We love being here with you. Amen.